Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. So yesterday was Noah, the the one who made the music for the podcast. It was his 13th birthday yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's getting too old. Mm-hmm. I didn't even tell him till late in the afternoon. I told him I was avoiding him, so I didn't have to admit that he was getting older. <laughs> That's a thing. It's a thing that you have to always contend with. You cannot stop the ineffable march of time. <laughs> That's right. And it's the only thing that you probably can't make more of is time. We had to take our, my middle child to the eye doctor this morning, which I didn't realize, like, he's three. I mean, almost four. But yeah. they can already sort of, using computers, diagnose whether or not you might have an eye problem. Like, they just take pictures of your eye, and then they can figure that out. And he has issues with his eye, which probably explains some amount of his... He's had tendencies where we're like, that's weird. He's behaving, like, really, really weirdly, but we could never kind of figure it out. And apparently, eyesight is a real trigger for all of his certain specific foibles that he's uh, been exhibiting. Yeah, we we went through that kind of stuff with Noah when he was really little. I thought he had a brain tumor. And it turns out he had a lazy eye, but it was like just so subtle that you couldn't notice, but it was causing him to be dizzy all the time. So he, I would come home and he'd be huddled in the floor crying, talking about the house spinning. Oh, that's awful. And now he's, he's like the only kid I know that doesn't like to spin around and get dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> he's been taking some uh, parkour classes. Nice. Parkour. They had him doing flips. I- and he actually was doing them. And I went up to the teacher and I was like, I don't know how you got him to do that because he won't get on a merry-go-round, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wall kick, parkour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as long as it looks cool. Merry-go-rounds don't look cool and they make you dizzy. So there's nothing good about them, according to him. <laughs> well, I think we got a lot to talk about. And I think we should just dispense with the pleasantries and jump right in to our main topic today. Well, well what's, on, what's on top of a merry-go-round? What's on top of a merry-go-round? Yeah. This is a trick question? Yeah, you have all the horses, and then what's the top? It's a big umbrella. That's a terrible segue. (laughs) Isn't that our main topic today? Isn't that what you wanted to talk about? (sighs) That, I don't, that, uh, mm, hang on, I'm recovering. (laughs) Is this the, are we actually in the show at this point? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I want to talk about umbrellas. You, I, wait, 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 wait. Do you know last week... That we had Fred on. Yes. Isn't that awesome? It was. It All right. Was really just, great. just saying. Yeah. Fred is Fred's pretty cool. Anyway, I had a moment of fanboy right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've, we've been, it's been back to back. Right. Sasha and then Fred. I just got done listening uh, and writing up the show notes for that episode, which was great. Fred or Sasha? Uh, Fred. Oh, no. Sorry. Uh, Sasha. It, it was a great show. And we have three copies of his book. Uh, digital copies to give away we'll figure out how to do that i think that we've been talking a lot lately about community and helping people who aren't developers become developers or maybe who who don't have the means to get books and stuff like that so we'll, we'll figure out some way to give those away in a in a more charitable manner than just hey free for all right yeah i think that, that makes sense but yes i want to talk about umbrellas i want to i want to i think we should just dive in we need to utilize the time that we have sir so i gotta ask you have you used umbrellas i have Okay, because, I mean, I did on like a toy project just playing around to mm-hmm. see what the fuss was all about, but I've mainly used ponchos and dependencies. Well, so what I wanted, what I'd like to do, if you'll allow it, if, if, if this is a please, is a court, I'd like to approach the bench and uh, explain uh, myself a little bit. Oh, no problem. I would like to kind of set the stage for this discussion a little bit and explain a bit of the status quo and what I see, or at least how I see the status quo. And try to frame all the different discussions around this. Is that cool? That's cool with me. 
I mean, I know you like it. I know you don't like it when I talk. So this is why I'm asking. Well, it just means that I get time to read different things. Got oh, it. oh, am I supposed to pay attention to what you say? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, look, it's, this is your show. Okay, I'm just a part of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. just here for it. As the millennium say, I'm here for this. <laughs> I'm here for this, fam. Is lit? Is that a thing? Oh. Is that still a thing? Do we still say that? I don't know. Well, we, me, never said that except for. When my kids came home saying it all the time, I found out the best way to get them to stop saying something is to start using it. Mm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of patterns around building applications in OTP. And applications is, as we know, uh, a fairly overloaded word because everything in Erlang and Elixir is an application. Every library is an application, like not necessarily colloquially, but In terms of OTP, that's how we view these things. And the reason we view them that way is because any specific dependency that you bring in to your service application, to your domain, could necessarily be starting processes, could be supervising, could be doing all kinds of other work behind the scenes that you're not aware of. Uh, And so we call them apps, whether or not that's the right name, who, you know, I'm super not, I don't care. Like people, other people care more about that than I do. I don't care about the name so much, but I think it's important to to realize, right? Uh, and I don't care only because I've internalized it. I've internalized that that's a thing. An application? Right. Applications are called this way. ODP yeah. level application, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's the hard part. Is it a project mm-hmm. or an application? Right. Or so, yeah. you know, Dave likes to call these things components or he's trying to kind of create this thing called components which are different, you know, he talks a lot about the misnaming of this stuff, whatever. But there's been a lot of discussion recently kind of kicked off with like a Twitter discussion with a friend of the show Bruce Tate. Uh, some other folks like jumped in there about the nature of umbrella apps and the nature of these different ways of thinking about application design. And so what an umbrella app is, and just in case people aren't super familiar with this stuff, an umbrella app is an application that houses other applications. It's a way to build distinct applications and group them all together. And there's tooling around being able to do that. Like if you're in the top level of all these applications, you can run mixed tests and it will run all the tests independently. You know, you can, you can kind of uh, orchestrate these multiple applications in a singular repo. So each of these applications runs within its own supervision tree. Well, each of them is an application, right? Right. And, you know, again, that's a, maybe a bad term. It's been overloaded. But what that means is that they can necessarily start processes. They they can necessarily do things like, and they may not. They may just be stateless uh, sets of modules and functions. You don't really get to know uh, unless you go dig inside that code, but they could necessarily be doing anything inside of these other applications. And the umbrella is a way to bring all that together and to kind of start it all and to unify that experience of building like multiple things. So that's what an umbrella is. And I think a lot of people use those, like have, have sort of like taken a shine to those and use them to kind of build out differing pieces of their domain or their actual service or their actual, again, to use this term application, like the thing, like if we can make a distinction between OTP application and the actual thing that you are building application, like the overall, you know, app then it's a way to sort of segment out the different parts of your domain or different components or different concerns or different domains or whatever, like however you want to break that up, uh, you can, people like to use umbrellas to do that. And the the benefit therein would be that uh, you would get reused from these things because you've done this like job of decoupling the domains apart. So you might have, you know, 
the back end business right the, in theory right like like but like the, the the goal is is much like any goal of design is to break these things apart to make it easier to work on them independently and easier to reuse uh, and i think that's a fair way to talk about how certain people approach umbrellas now there's a secondary thing that people do with umbrellas which is that they use them for operational benefit so because they're distinct apps there's mechanisms in OTP releases and in deploying your, your code that allows you to start to say things like, well, this set of nodes is gonna run this app in the umbrella. And this set of nodes is gonna run this other app in the umbrella. So maybe a bad example of this, but an example of this would be like, you have all of your web layer, you know, whatever that is, Phoenix, Racks, Plug, whatever. You have that whole web layer in its own app that calls into some sort of background or like, you know, business logic, business domain kind of specific app. And you want to be able to scale out your web tier without ha having to scale out the backend tier for whatever reason. And if you are taking advantage of OTP apps in this way, this provides you some amount of operational power to do that. So you can start to say, I want to deploy only the Phoenix parts of this stuff to these nodes. And I want to be able to scale those independently. And I want to deploy this set to these nodes. And I want to deploy my Kafka producer consumer over to this node, right? And you can start to like have operational power by doing that with the benefit that when you're working on it, when you're in development mode, it's all right there. It's all one repo, it's all one app. You can, and it's like not even like the mono repo thing where you need to glue stuff together. It's actually just like forming one cohesive application that you can run mix test on and it runs all the tests and you can just run like IEX-S mix and now you're up and everything's running. Okay, I've run into issues with that, but. I mean, setting aside that historically, I, and for me, like I haven't used umbrellas in anger in a while. Uh, so I don't know what the changes have been, but I think historically there have been some caveats, like some things that you need to be aware of when it comes to umbrellas. And one of those things is, you know, was like dependencies. Like, so if you had multiple different apps that all depended upon a, de a dependency, let's say, then you had to be aware of that. I mean, those things had to be synced up. They had to use the same versions, all that kind of stuff, because they, they need to be able to reconcile Right, because right. they're sharing code. Because at the end of the day, it's all just one app, right? So if you depend on, um, I can't think of a better example, but I'm I'm gonna catch heat for using this example. Yeah. <laughs> but like, let's say you've segmented like your backend, your business domain from your Phoenix app, but you're still using change sets. Ecto needs to be present in both of those apps to be able to utilize that stuff, right? And because at the end of the day, it's all one Ecto. Like you're just you're still running Ecto's the one dependency. It's not like it's like somehow encapsulated inside of that other app. So my understanding, whenever I was trying trying to use umbrellas just on that play app and then I ended up using ponchos on, on all the stuff that I've worked on outside of that was that can't you put that dependency in the main top level mix instead of under the app mix and it'll be a taken care of that way yes you totally can you can do that will that work for deployment too because I never tried to deploy with the umbrella yeah because it's all just well yes you that ends up I guess because you you build yeah and then you deploy yeah. the build it's yes. not but that was a thing like you needed to be aware of and that was a learning right and and it's one of those things where it's it wasn't debilitating once you figured out that it was a problem but learning that it was a problem was a thing and i think like since then documentation has changed um there's better tooling around this stuff one of the issues that starts to present itself is if like you want to work on a specific application you might CD into that directory and then run mixed test. And at that point, stuff doesn't work correctly because you're missing stuff that it needs, 
right, that was historically a thing. And I think that's probably been fixed. I don't, I'm not sure. There, because there's a difference between being in the top level, like root directory and trying to run mixed test and being down into the application and trying to run mixed test. Yeah, I remember running into issues with that and building too. So mm-hmm. errors is warnings or warnings is errors. I'm sorry. I always say that backwards. Warnings is errors. I, I would put it on the at the top level and I would run the build and the sub applications would not air out because they're just dependencies. Really, they're just path dependencies. Like, what's the difference between an umbrella and a poncho? Uh, I, you know, Connor and Frank, I remember them saying, poncho does nothing. <laughs> a poncho is great for you because it, it does nothing. <laughs> right. I actually, I think I was in the room when the term poncho was coined because I think Greg <laughs> came up with it. Oh, I could see that. Friend of the show, Greg. Yeah. Frank, friend of the show, and Connor, friend yeah, of the show. Go ahead and name name drop a few more people. While you're at. Yeah, I, I had to. Can you, get, I, had to, can you go, go for the record of two more? Uh, well, we already said Dave, friend of the show. Let's see. Uh, who else can I? Who else can I name drop? Jose, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on enough times, right? Well, in any case, that there was other issues around umbrellas historically. I think, like I said, largely they've been fixed. Um, config was another thing because you needed to understand how configs were going to get overlaid on top of each other and to know like which config was going to work because they're apps like under the hood like those are just other apps that have their own configuration how do those get merged together on, and overlaid on top of each other etc like learning how that all worked wasn't debilitating but it was a thing you had to learn about and it could create surprises again depending on whether you were running it in the directory of the app or from the top level directory or from somewhere else or whatever. Like those were things that I personally ran into. So I know nerves at some point started to askew the sort of standard umbrella app idea and they created an alternative, which has been sort of like lovingly called ponchos. From my understanding of it, the way that a poncho works is that you use path dependencies for all of your other apps that you want to bring in. And that's all it is. You just bring in path dependencies. And then it's like at least clear what the separations between all these dependencies are because we understand how dependencies work. Like you have to configure your dependencies in your application. We understand that because you know that's like a thing that we've internalized. So they're easier, a little bit easier to reason about while giving you, ideally in a, in a sort of platonic way, giving you this design characteristic where you've pulled things apart and put them into other places, right? And uh, is, that, is that like a fair explanation of how ponchos work? Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what we, it's just like having a dependency somewhere else in your system. Right. You just happen to put it into the same repo. Now, the other thing that you could do is just external dependencies right in other Git repositories. Yes, and that's that's another that's another common pattern that's emerging now. The only thing that I appreciate with Poncho over that is if you have a new project and those dependencies are, are you're in charge of all of them and maybe they're they're changing quite a bit is that main application that pulls in all those dependencies you have to go update it and point it to the new updated version of the dependency constantly and and that gets a little tiring and people forget like you go on the build and you're like, why doesn't everything work? Oh, I forgot to update that one dependency. So that, yeah. So lots of people come up with other things. I know Dave has played around with this with his like component ideas of some combination of using Git repos for things and using path dependencies for things and whatever. And like people are kind of working to figure this problem out. You know, that's the very large explanation of sort of the frame for this. I mean, and you could contrast all of that with like, just do it all in one app and or do it all in services that you talk to over some other transport protocol. Like you could send messages over Rabbit or you could build REST endpoints or you could build RPC of some sort or whatever. Like, you know, you could build, those are all sort of in contrast to that. So going 
forward in this discussion, what I would like to do, because the things that are more are, are more interesting to me, well, because I want to focus on stuff that's interesting to me, and I think that's interesting to people who are doing this stuff. I want to set all of the operational concerns with umbrellas aside, because I actually think that's a totally valid reason to use umbrellas. And like, you know, if you need that or not, and if you need that umbrellas are there, they're a good tool for that. And they're a good way to sort of manage those things. So I want to set all that aside because I actually don't think that's very interesting to talk about. I, I have, a, I have one question because I had, I'd heard rumors about it and I, I don't know if it's true. Do umbrellas make sure that your dependencies only go one direction at all? I don't think they do. There's some sort of smarts in there to stop cyclical dependency relationships. Yeah. I think it handles that correctly. Last time I looked, I think it handles that correctly. And the poncho, you just see a bunch of warnings saying, hey, when it, if it builds like one of the dependencies before another, it'll say, hey, you don't actually have this, but you're trying to call it, but it'll go ahead and build. And by the time everything's built, it works, which can be quite annoying. I did see as an aside that kind of links to this is Sasha is playing with... Um, some boundaries that will give you errors that says, hey, you cannot call from this to that during compile time. That gets into, the, to me, the more interesting discussion. So so to, just to put a pin in this, like operationally, I think let's set aside uh, the operational benefits of that with the caveats that if you're doing, if you're using umbrellas for operational reasons, you do have to handle the fact that like you're going to share your dependencies in the sense that you're going to share the version of your dependencies. Those things are not upgradable on their own independently. There are trade-offs to that for sure. But again, if you are comfortable with those trade-offs and that's a thing that you need, that's a tool that's there for you. So, you know, Alon Z, like go with God and, and, and go do that. I think the much more interesting discussion though is about design. And I think people, the way I see umbrellas utilized a lot all stems from trying to do decoupling and trying to do design. And so that's the thing that I think is a, is like more interesting to discuss. I'll, I'm going to go with, with the first question when it comes to decoupling and design. Couldn't you just do that in your current application by putting some folders and namespaces in? So here's here's what you lose right? You lose separate supervision tree, right? Because it's going to fall under the same application. So you lose separate applications, basically. Yes. So tautologically, yes, I think you're you're correct in that. All right. So, I mean, but I, I think what people are searching for in this is not design about like, when we say talk about design, I don't know that people are really intending to mean like fault tolerance in that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what's top of mind for people. I think what's top of mind for people is stuff like, it's like it's philosophy of software design stuff. It's like, where does this code go? Organizational structure. Yeah, an organizational structure. My contention, which is a contentious thing that in probably <laughs> to say, I just don't think you need them. Like, I don't think, I don't think they help you do the thing that you want to do in the long run because and, I, and i'll try to explain why one of the reasons people reach for umbrellas is that it creates this notion of boundaries and encapsulation if i put my business logic and my uh, domain stuff my domain specific stuff over in this other app then it's somehow you know segmented away like it's on its own and now i'm just building interfaces into that design Here's the problem that I've seen working on that whenever you're running locally, right? Is that, you know, we talked about, I guess this goes back into non-organizational, um, but it, it kind of links to this, is that if you have two applications so that you can deploy like your web front end and scale that separately from your back end, your business logic, is that whenever you are working locally and you're running that, it's in one VM and it's a flat space. So 
you can still write code that accesses the other one directly, not realizing it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's definitely part of this, right? Like, there's nothing actually stopping you from just reaching into whatever modules that you want to call and calling things on them, right? It's it's like that's a that's a that's a myth, right? Like that's not a real thing that you get. You can go do that however you want. Ideally, you know, you don't do that. Uh, you you follow like the APIs. You use the APIs that have been put in place, right? But right now, you know, uh, maybe this all gets fixed when we have private modules. I I don't know. Uh, but I, right now, like you can just reach into whatever modules that you want and like call code on them. And I kind of don't think like I mean. In that regard, like umbrellas didn't buy you anything, right? For that specific thing, for that specific use case, umbrellas didn't buy you anything, because right. you could do that in your code right now in some sort of in some sort of monolithic. I and mean, people love the term monolith. I don't know. It's just it's it's all a monolith. Like whether it's in an umbrella or not, it's all a one monolith. It's it's all one thing. Um, it's just a matter of like where you what directories you're putting crap in. And so I don't, you know. I think the benefits there of decoupling are an illusion. I don't think they're a real thing. Okay. Okay. So let's let let me play devil's advocate here a little bit. Please do. So I I have an application. Yes. And I don't use an umbrella or a poncho. I'm just splitting things up with namespaces in the lib directory. And I'm very diligent. And so I definitely have separated pieces that don't directly call into each other. So I now want to pull this piece, one of those directories out and make it into its own hex package um, so it can be reused across my entire, oh, I'm going to say a dirty word, enterprise, because um, I don't have a better word for it, but my organization, uh, or maybe even 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 open source it, right? Okay. Maybe I want to do that. Sure. And so there's work to be done, right? Because I, I need to actually create an application or, or a, a package and pull stuff into it. It's going to have a config and everything there. Mm-hmm. Where if I had started with an umbrella app, I would already have a directory with all of the structure underneath it for that that I can just pull out and and put into a hex package. So is the argument there that basically, given I have built a sufficiently large thing that I have found something worth extracting from it, that I will save myself a little bit of time as opposed to mix newing up a, a repo and like moving the code there and then like depending on that code? Is that the argument? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I don't personally <laughs> find much benefit in that. I don't know if you can tell from my tone of voice. <laughs> But I just like I didn't I didn't either. I was just saying like I just think are... that's really weak tea. Like I don't like I don't think that that's like a I don't think that's a super good reason to do this. I don't think that level of planning for the future is mm-hmm. a super good reason to do this. What if I'm doing it so that I can whenever I'm building I get those warnings about dependencies going one direction so that I can make sure that in the future I can pull it out. What but what does that buy you over just using it inside of if you just build modules and like directories with stuff inside of it in a in let's call it a monolith cuz that's what people call these things uh when they're not umbrella apps <laughs> um like what i get a build warning what but you wouldn't get a build warning at all like there's no reason to have a build like you don't benefit from a build warning because you just pull the module out of there you just copy and paste that module right out of there and it's fine and then you just transition over to using that thing i'll also argue that i mean i think you know i'm I, i'm happy to like entertain this specific um uh, example, but I think the amount of things that you know most companies end up pulling out of their apps aren't like no one's building yet another you know like what are you going to pull out of there? 
Like there's like most of what you should be building and spending your time on is your business. What are, what about your business are you going to pull out of the underlying stuff? You know, every now and then you might come across like, oh, we built this thing, we built tracing or we built a new HTTP client that works really well with this new pool thing. And like, we're going to extract that. I buy those things. I mean, I think those things do happen. I just don't think they happen that often. And I don't think you should be optimizing for that. Yeah, I've, I've run into a few of those things uh, in the past couple of years, but they they weren't huge. And then half the time, even if it wasn't a separate application, the company didn't want to spend the man hours to do it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, and that makes sense, too. It was like, if you want to do that at home late at night on your own, (laughs) go for it. But I mean, I I just, I don't know that any of those tools are really buying you the kind of design benefits that you want, because at least for me, and and I'll, I'll say what, like, what are, what are the design benefits you want? Right, exactly. So the con, the design benefits that I personally want, I value for me, I value ability to change above practically everything from a design perspective you know i i wouldn't say that i would value it more than a certain degree of robustness and like correctness um but i think overall like when i'm designing stuff the thing that i am optimizing for is what's the likelihood that i can change this thing and on top of that how how quickly can i get a feature done and i think the way you optimize for speed which is an unknowable thing at the speed of development is an unknowable quantity that none of that nobody can put a put a number on i thought you said unknowable no, it's a, it's an unknowable uh, number, right? Because you, you you know again, it's the time old thing of like, well, how do you know if management training worked? Because you have great managers. Yeah, well, no, I mean, if you send somebody to management training, you have no idea what their ROI is because you don't know if, how you can't compare. So, so I think if you're optimizing for ability to change, you are you are automatically optimizing for speed of development for down the road, and and I think that is actually a noble thing to optimize for knowing how the world works and that things are going to change things are going to come up that Mm -hmm. you have to make changes to the code and if you're not optimizing for ability to change then you're slowing down future you right and i don't buy umbrellas as i have seen them use on the on the apps i've used them on i don't think umbrellas bought us that umbrellas themselves didn't buy us that what bought us that was understanding our APIs and and understanding the modules that we were going to be using and using them like good design stuff which isn't going to change whether or not you put it in an umbrella or and you just do it all in a monolith furthermore there's all these pain points to using umbrellas like like there's all these things that would come up using them that they don't buy you enough like they don't they don't they're not buying me enough they're not like helping me solve the problem that I want to solve, but, and they also cost things. So it's like, it's a net loss on, on what I want to do. You know, I mean, the, the other thing that I pointed out, and I think this is really true is like, you know, in a lot of ways, design and boundaries and encapsulation is like, oh, what's the garbage talk where the guy sits there on a chair and then decide, like talks about platitudes about how you should design code that you can throw away or whatever. Remember that talk? I think Greg, I think it's a Greg Young bit. No, I have no idea. Anyway, I get the idea of like, you know, build things to throw them away. I I don't really agree with that as a design methodology. Uh, I get what it's what they're trying to like lead you towards. You know, I do understand like what they're trying to get you get you 
pointed at. But I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal is growth. Like I think the goal is to is to always be able to grow and extend your your system because your system's like a living thing. It needs to do more stuff. It often does not need to do, to do less than what it did yesterday. There's not many systems I've worked on that needed to do less things than what they did the day before. They often need to grow and extend and do new things while keeping the old things working. And I don't actually think throwing away old the old code is often really a useful uh, expenditure of your time. Putting up boundaries and putting up walls around your system can be good if you allow for growth to take place inside of there, right? If you allow to, to start to grow those things. And in a lot of ways, those design characters, what they're really doing is they're designed to stop entropy. They're designed to stop people going in there and doing bad things. I mean, this is what private modules is all about from, you know, it's like, it's designed to stop entropy, right? It's designed to stop people going into places they're not supposed to go and putting things there and doing things and doing, using things incorrectly, right? The problem is, is like, if you put up so many walls that you stop entropy, the same mechanisms that are stopping entropy are the mechanisms that keep you from getting things done that need to be done. They're the same things that like inhibit your ability to move through a system. This is like why you, you know, if you've ever worked on like a big app that had seven layers of, of abstraction that you needed to walk down to do any one individual thing, that's the, that's the same stuff. Like people are doing quote unquote good design and what they're doing is they're putting up these walls to try to like encapsulate or do good design and in actuality, all they've really managed to do is inhibit all the people who need to come after them and build features and actually just do their jobs. And so I don't think, you know, I just take a different look at how we can build systems that are ready, that are, that are, that are built for growth and built for extensibility and, and, and allow for change in a accretion of features. I don't get that you're saying umbrellas are bad you're just saying they should they don't solve the problem that most people are using them for right yeah absolutely and focus more on the design of your code at all levels and it it's not really much of a design thing the umbrellas are not a not there to help you with design i don't i it they don't help me with design any more than just using modules and functions in uh, in a monolith a standard run-of-the-mill monolith you know, they don't help me with that. And I think when you reach for these things too early, you end up in this place of over-design. And over-design is about as bad as like, you know, too much dry. I actually think dry is one of the worst things that has happened to the software, like software engineering as a culture, because people use it to justify terrible decisions. I, th I think people push it too far. I fight that word constantly because you know what actually isn't that big a deal? Reuse. You know what actually will massively hinder your ability to get things done and grow your system in the future dryness the long-term cost of dry has done more damage to systems than code reuse full stop oh full stop oh, oh uh, <laughs> i i would say that if you take dry beyond it it's it's intention well i mean but no but see here's the thing and this is why i push back on that hard is because you don't get to come up with some snappy little algorithm like uh you know um word that you want to describe your new design philosophy about and then be like well you took it out of context <laughs> like that's not a real thing that you get to do well why not because because you're the intention of the thing is like is lost at that point if you're basically like it's like saying inbox zero right inbox zero to most people means like you have zero emails and that's not what the original guy like who made inbox zero actually intended it to mean you know it's the same thing I don't think that that makes it a bad thing. Misuse of, of something doesn't make it a bad thing. 
like all of those design things they're they're the principles i don't think are meant to be hard and fast you never do this i i the the issue is that people i think you read it and then you stop thinking and that is the major See, problem. Now you're now you're you're being the Chris on this episode about philosophy of software design. No, no damn it, you've, Chris. You've you have fools. You can't change your tune about how people take rules out of context and use them whenever it's convenient for you. No, no, I no, I absolutely agree with the other thing too. What I had said before is that I thought that his analogy in philosophy of software design was a bad one because of what it what the picture that uh people that i've spoken to get in their head and i would i would much rather him use a different analogy and i would i would probably feel a whole lot better about that book if he did dryness maybe it needs a new name i think in the same way that people misuse stuff i think people misuse uh they, they try to reuse too much code they try to they try to encapsulate things too quickly and all that kind of stuff and like and i think people optimize for things that you that are not real things like one of the things that comes up with umbrellas a lot, uh, and, and specifically around Elixir because in Erlang, because it makes it easy to do this, is the idea that, well, if I have an app that is my domain logic, my business logic, then I can have a separate app that is my interface to that. And Phoenix, like the words Phoenix is just one interface to your application get tossed around a lot, right? Have you, You've heard this, right? Yep. I've seen, I've only seen it in practice once where it actually mattered. I contend it never matters. I contend that doesn't, that is a non-problem. And I would go further and say, I think if that's what you're optimizing for, number one, you can do that in a monolith. You know, number two, you could do that as services, like as actual individual services that do have real boundaries, that do have real contracts. Uh, and you're probably better, and you know, my again, contentious thing is like, you're probably better off doing it that way. Once you understand the business that you're, the business logic you're trying to build. And I just don't think that's a real thing. I don't think that's a real thing anybody wants to do and or needs to do. And I don't think you can actually separate out the interface from what's happening behind the scenes. And this goes back to the idea that I actually don't think there's much business in most services. I don't think there's much business logic in most services. Most of the business logic is putting data into a database, pulling it back out and turning that data into information. And that information is often really intertwined with what's happening like in the interface. Turning that information is different. Like the information is the interface. Like you're gonna provide different things if you're talking to a CLI application or if you're talking uh, over JSON or if you're talking over protobuf. Like that's gonna be like the, the, in, the information is part of the transport, right? Because it's part of the values that are going over the system, right? That, that is how you communicate that information. I think the problem that, that people are trying to avoid is the business logic in that data transformation to the outside world. And so that's the thing is the Phoenix is not your application. That whole wording and is all about making sure your business logic is separated down to that bottom level. So you can throw a CLI simply without having to be like, oh, well, I have some business logic up in my web layer that I need to now push down. If you're at that point, 
if you're if you're at that point where you need to share those things, right, where you truly need to share different interfaces for those things, I think there's a host of different mechanisms that you can use to do that. One of which is just to do it all in the same app, which is actually fine. Like that's a real thing that you could do. You, you know, umbrellas aren't necessarily going to help you with that. The other thing would be to pr start building other services. Like if you really do understand your business layer to the point where you need to now build multiple interfaces to it, like you could do that using some sort of like service uh, oriented approach, right? And I'm not gonna say like microservices because I don't know that I truly believe in that. Uh, like, I don't know that I want to go that far, but I don't know, I can't help but look around at the services at Bleacher Report, right? And this is a thing that I've been thinking about a lot, but to a service, every one of them, I think you could safely describe as being a Phoenix app. Like people would look at them and be like, that's a Phoenix app. In the sense that like they're all Phoenix services, which we like because and I like because I like Phoenix a lot. That's a that's a contrarian thing to say on podcasts, but I like <laughs> Phoenix a lot. Um, and you know, I really enjoy the benefits that we get out of Phoenix, like providing all this stuff over the top of plug, providing all this stuff over the top of cowboy. You know, I we get a lot out of Phoenix, even though we don't use a bunch of it. Like we don't use templates. We don't use H we never render HTML. We don't, you know, we really don't use channels. Doesn't matter. Phoenix is giving us all this great power, right? And we have business logic behind the scenes that end up in something that we would now call Phoenix contexts, but they're just modules with functions by and large. And some of these things have been upgraded literally from Phoenix like 0.4. They're all up to date. They're all on 1.4 at this point, or not all, but they're mostly moving to 1.4. And some of them, yeah, have had life as like 0.4, 0.5, and they're all just like kind of marching forward. None of them use umbrellas. None of them use any of these other like highfalutin like design techniques that people are talking about. And they mostly just use modules and functions. And obviously there's like places in each of these individual services that you could go and look at and be like, ah, that could be cleaned up. We could, we could do a better job of abstracting this or, you know, whatever. It's a little hard to navigate this. And we don't have that many. There's like, you know, I would say realistically, there's four or five major services that you have to contend with on any given day. They're all fairly non-standard. They all have different ways of running. They all have different, you know, because again, they're like independent things. Like they don't have some universal tool to like run all of them or whatever. You just run them using the readme and you just follow the description and you, and you do it. And like, they're all really easy to move around in. And that's the thing that's like most shocking to me. These things are old by software standards and they're all really easy to move around in. They're all really easy to like, you know, figure out what to get done and then just do your job and then like add a new feature, or extend a thing. So what makes them easy to move around in? Well, that's the thing that I've been contending with and I've been trying to think about it. I've talking to Ben about this a lot and... You know, I'm like, I don't think I'm some super genius programmer who just can hold all this crap in his head and then like move around in this in this system. And no disrespect to all the people at Bleacher Report who were there before me and did all this great work. But like, there's not a ton of discussion that happens at in these meetings about like how we're going to architect any individual thing. Obviously, in pull requests, we do code reviews and that stuff. But by and large, like those are pretty easy to move through. And everybody has a kind of a general unified view of how we should be building things without really needing to talk about it. Um, and it's striking to me how little discussion happens about design. And, and yet, all this stuff is easy to move around in. I mean, the majority of the discussion about design stuff is like at a much higher level. It's like, how do we integrate these three different disparate things together? And like, what needs to happen to like work over this bigger thing? And I kind of just have this like pet theory that really, if you're starting from a place of immutable data, and you've got modules and you got functions and that's kind of it 
I think you get to like a really good place by default and you can really fight a lot of the entropy that happens just by not doing anything using a couple good design techniques and getting everybody kind of to like agree on what we all consider to be good keeping that stuff moving forward until it just gets just big enough and you really understand what you're building and then you break out another service like once you're sufficiently down the road I kind of think that works. And I don't know, like maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Maybe I'm in just like blessed company. Uh, maybe like, you know, I mean, Ben has just cracked the whip over everybody long enough that <laughs> they all learned it, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is. But like, I, you know, I just, I don't know. Like, I think we can be building stuff without the trappings that people might think that we need without going one direction too far. We're definitely not a microservices company. Like I said, we probably have like what, I mean, you know, five, four or five, like really, really important things. And then a couple things around the edges, you know, we do not do microservices. We do not pay that burden. And definitely if you're going down that route, taking your monolith and making it distributed and getting the boundaries wrong and not understanding what it is you're building, that's definitely more painful than doing it wrong inside of a monolith, like 100%. But I don't know, like I'm not convinced by some of this stuff as like a means towards good design any more than doing it in a monolith is a means towards good design. I think you can end up with good or bad things in either case. And it just so happens that umbrellas have this external cost associated with them without bringing that benefit, that built-in benefit. And so to me, it's like just net zero over just doing it in one app. I, I think I have to agree with you. Do we have somebody joining us? I have another video that popped up. I do too. <clears throat> It says Anna. I love call-ins. That was by accident. Sorry. No. Welcome to the show. Hi. How's it going today, Anna? Good. Sorry, y'all. No, it's all right. Not we're, being available. We were talking about designing code and umbrella applications today. Do you uh, have anything that you'd like to say about it with having no context? Other than <laughs> I have zero context. What has your conclusion been so far? Uh, no, it's funnier that, if you just tell us what you think. Yeah, <laughs> and then we'll tell you what we think. I, th no, I think Chris and I greatly agree on this. I try to. Play I think you all. Wait, I've been watching Twitter a little bit. Don't you all agree? Don't you all? From what I understand, you all don't see a need for umbrella applications. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't I don't dislike them. I think that. Um, mainly uh, with all design is that an, um, an umbrella app is is not going to buy you a whole lot of benefit over other just namespaces and modules within your application and that either way the more important thing about getting you to to good code design if that's what you're using an umbrella for is for you to sit back and think about the structure of your application and where the line should be drawn way more than just like hey, if we throw out an umbrella it's going to solve these problems for us yeah i think that's a good point are you you're getting in the car huh yeah this was not on purpose i was oh. just check, checking <laughs> this is literally not i was checking my calendar i don't know how i got zoom to open up to the call <laughs> that you already had running nice so surprise i just missed you both and i hadn't talked to you in a while and so i, I understand um, i wanted to hear both your voices <laughs> i missed you too <laughs> Are you all ready for Lone Star? Getting ready? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, I haven't written my talk. It, it's, I, I tweeted about this the other day. It's really hard to get motivated to write a talk 
that is is that, a backup. that may not see the light of day right uh yeah. now it, it will because I'll, I'll probably um i i know the casey elixir group would would be amenable to letting me talk um i mean nobody will probably show up on that day but that's all right i'll i'll give it to him <laughs> wait um, no they'll show up <laughs> yeah so it, it's just it's harder to get motivated there's not right. as much uh, motivation there, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I think if I end up having to do it, it might be a live code talk. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, that's cool. We'll, we'll, Very see. Cool. we'll see how it goes. I might have to run my steps toward you guys and see what you think. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that I can see both of you and you can't. <laughs> I can't see you. You're not driving well on the phone in San Francisco, are you? <laughs> no, Probably I was. Illegal. I was. Now I'm now part. <gasps> okay. Well, I had I had a headset in, so it's fine. It's fine. oh, that that's legal. Okay, it's hundred yeah. percent safe. It's <laughs> uh, not like any more dangerous than driving. <laughs> I think I think uh, here in flyover country, I'm actually allowed to watch video on my phone while driving. Probably, <laughs> just and it would be fine. It's fine. That's when you should totally be finishing fine. up all these books I've given you. Is just you're oh, there you go. Yeah, oh while I'm God. driving, especially I, well, in Kansas. I mean, it's just get on the road and drive, and you could basically duct tape the wheel in place, and it's gonna get you there. With my swollen right foot, I can't really drive right now. But, oh yeah, yeah, how's your ankle? Uh, well, it, the swelling is is down a little bit. My foot is now smaller than my shoe. Um, that's progress. I still don't know if I can put it in my shoe. Uh, -oh. uh, the funny thing is, is I have these like, uh, supportive socks. They're, they're Puma socks. Uh -huh. um, but whenever I take the socks off at night, you can see where the letters Puma are like grilled into my skin. Cause my foot's so oh, swollen. No! <laughs> that's not good. But, but the bruise has started to migrate. So I think that means it's healing, right? Yes. That's some, well, it, yeah. Change is good. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's less swollen, and I can touch it a little bit now and put a little bit of pressure. So it's it's getting there. Well, that's good. All right, y'all. All right. Well, thanks for <laughs> thanks, thanks for, for stopping by. by. Yeah. <laughs> sorry to interrupt, and I totally didn't plan it, but you know, it was nice to see your faces. I think yeah. we should once in a while just publish the Zoom link <laughs> to Twitter. Well, I was show. thinking about I was thinking about that. <laughs> As a uh, as like a a, a Patreon um, backer like thing is like if oh, you're yeah. a Patreon, we'll just give you the Zoom link, like from or the Zoom recording, so you see the whole thing. You see oh, that's hilarious. Oh no, I meant I meant give somebody the Zoom meeting link, like just post it on Twitter, and whoever hops in is a guest for the day. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that oh, I could still be, think it'd be um... fun to do like a Twitch, like a private Twitch stream or, or like a Twitch stream or something. Oh like yeah. That. And then, and then we could take questions like as we're going or, and stuff. That'd be fun. Totally. So if anybody thinks that they would love for us to do a, a Twitch stream, a private Twitch stream, uh, let us know. That'd be cool. And then we'll give you an invite. If I don't even know if private Twitch stream is words that go together. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a public Twitch stream. But we'll try and figure it out. I know. If I think you would a like a Twitch stream is like saying. Um, Ah, uh, never mind. I can't think of an aphorism for that. But like, I think it's. I think it's the same thing. I think that's a. That's a. Uh, so I think you said the same thing twice. <laughs> we're gonna. We're gonna have to uh, meet for fifteen. If we do a public one, we're gonna have to meet fifteen minutes beforehand to get all those things out that we normally cut out of the show. Mm -hmm. Right. And then hop in there. Yeah, because if we that's do true. it, then everything that's in the show is gonna be in the show. That's right. <laughs> The good thing is, is and you Juliet, never know what's going to be in the show. Juliet will have a really easy time editing. It's true. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I mean, you're our boots on the ground in uh, San Francisco. So can you can you give us a lay of the land, like what's happening right now? <laughs> right, the second as I'm walking to the office. Yeah, yeah. is it is it warm? 
It's freezing. What's what's freezing in San Francisco? Because it's I been like it's, it's been like forty degrees all week. <laughs> it snowed oh, there in parts of the bay, right? <laughs> yeah, like the Oakland Hills had snow the other day. Mm, mm, mm. All right, uh, it was below <laughs> zero, zero here last week, and today I woke up to half an inch of ice. Oh my god! I, I well, can't open my back door because there's ice <laughs> up at the bottom. It's of uh, it's sixty <laughs> degrees here today. I got sweaty as I was walking, as I took a walk earlier. Man. What? Yeah. No, See? global warming is doing a real bad thing to the rest I'm of I'm not okay with that. Yeah, I sent my friend a photo yeah. of, like, my weather app. She's in, she's in Boston because it said, like, 42 feels like 36. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? This is going on. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's well, like, it's supposed to be 60 here today. I was like, uh-uh. The, the five hottest years, uh, the, five, the five hottest years on, in Earth's uh, recorded history happened in, in the last five years. Oh my God! Here, Anna. Uh, oh, you can't. Can you see what that says? Fifteen degrees. Fifteen wow. degrees here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit chilly. A yep. bit chilly. Layer up. Layer up. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. It says feels like zero, with a low tonight of six degrees. Oh my God! You're so you're essentially uh, the refrain of all Midwesterners. Is it? <laughs> is, it is it? Is it not cold? And then the checkbox is. It would actually wouldn't be that bad if not for the wind. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. What, what's funny is it's what, it's Thursday today. Uh, yes. And on Saturday or Sunday last week, it was like 65. We being have. Yeah, someone, see? Being we married have, to someone from the Midwest, I've learned that it's always, there's, a, there's, there's some immutable rules of the universe in the Midwest. And number one is it's only cold because of the wind. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be so bad if not for the wind. <laughs> the second thing I've always learned is complimenting someone in the Midwest upon a purchase that they've made, it's customary for that person to always explain how they purchased that item at great discount. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, you say, if you say, that's a, that's a beautiful blouse, that, that uh, new blouse that you have. It's like, oh, yeah, I got it for $5. I had a coupon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady behind the counter messed up because it was supposed to be only on one item and she gave it to me on all the items. I was originally going to buy this uh, from Home Depot, but then I got a coupon to Menards. <laughs> I don't know why my Midwestern accent is also... That is not crazy. a Midwestern accent. <laughs> the only accents I have are like Southern lawyer, Mickey Mouse, and then retired New Jerseyan in Florida. So I mean, that's wait. a pretty good accent. Let's, let's hear Mickey Mouse real quick. No. He's <laughs> spontaneous. Okay. All right, y'all. I'm going to log off because it's about to get really loud. There's construction. All right. Have a great right. day. Bye. Take it easy. Bye. That's going to be a top level on our Patreon is, is that you get a personal thank you from Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was this old clip. There's this old clip of uh, back when Michael Eisner was still C- CEO of Disney of Mickey Mouse calling Michael Eisner. And yelling at him, berating him for making Piglet the movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it just is like, Eisner, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Five million dollars on Piglet the movie? <laughs> Eisner. Did they make any money on that movie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, cut that out. Uh, I guess, I mean, I don't, I don't know where we were on our talk with the interruption from Anna, but I think it was uh, fantastic radio and we should keep it. And- no, I mean, I think, the, I think the long and short of it for me is just umbrellas aren't getting me what I want 
out of design methodology. They aren't helping me do the kind of design that I'm interested in being able to do inside of an application. And I'm not convinced that design is any more, any better or any worse, whether or not you do it in a monolith or do it in umbrellas or do it as services. I think any of those things can go awry and, you know, good design is going to win out at the end of the day. Um, And my take on it so far has just been that if you do monoliths until it doesn't make sense to do monoliths and then you build a new service and you build it for purpose and you build it with design in mind and with boundaries in mind, that's actually like a pretty good way to go. And you can get a, get away with that for a really, really long time. That, that'll take you a really, really long way. And you don't often impede people's ability to, you know, get stuff done. And, um, I don't know. And that's the thing that I, that's to me, just what I value them the most. And not everybody's going to value that. Uh, you know, it, lots of people argue for correctness over a lot of things that I argue for. And, you know, a lot of people argue for type systems and that's not a thing I can be bothered to care about anymore because it doesn't solve the kind of problem I have. Everybody's going to have different, and that doesn't mean they're bad. Everybody's going to have different feelings and, and, um, needs in their organization and in their company with the teams that they have. And if those things help you with your team, then those are the things that you ought to be doing. For me, they aren't helping me. So that's why I sort of askew them. So I I think that it's not that nobody should ever use them. But that's Uh, what you just said. No. Well, I mean, I heard you. I heard you say no one should ever use them. Said (laughs) no one should ever use umbrellas. Going back to minute 23, second 52, <laughs> you said no one should ever use umbrellas. I have it right here. <laughs> I don't even know how to, how to follow this up, but I'm just going to keep going like you didn't say anything. Is that, that in, in all of our decisions, a lot of times that we prematurely make decisions hoping that it will work out later, but we really need to wait until the last responsible moment to make the decision. And I think that that's where you're saying with whenever you need to split things up, that's when you do it. But, but wait until you have all the information on where and how you should split it instead of trying to just do that up front. Now that doesn't, the last responsible moment doesn't mean the last irresponsible moment either. So <laughs> there's a fine line there and yeah. uh you gotta you gotta take that that time to think as you're going along and and just make decisions whenever whenever you have the best, most amount of information to make the decision mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's key i think i think what you just said is super key which is when you have enough information to make that decision you heard it here first chris said that amos was right yeah, I said you're right before. There's at least one other time where I've said I, that you're right before. I, I know, but I gotta I gotta point it out every time since you well you actually on you. Like you can put that on your uh, LinkedIn profile. You still have one of those. Great, Chris said I'm right. I do have a LinkedIn profile. Yeah, and you can be endorsed for being Chris said I was right once. <laughs> can you endorse me for that? I don't have a LinkedIn, so no, I can't. Uh, I refuse to have a LinkedIn. We're not gonna better, talk about it. It would be better coming from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I'll put it on my Twitter bio. <laughs> Perfect. This was right once. No, but I think you're totally right. And and if you're like halfway through a feature, you don't know if that thing is going to like exist and need to be reused and need to, uh, you know, be a thing that you care about, like gathering up and utilizing, right? You, You know, you might know that once you've built the same thing three times, which is typically my like rule of thumb is like, if I've built the same thing three times, well, now I've got some knowledge about it. And now I can maybe start to find the abstraction layer. But if you haven't done that yet, you don't have necessarily enough information to start 
doing the design process that I'm comfortable with doing. I think that's a fantastic rule. Build it three times. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's just a good, it's a good number. It's a good, that's a good number to start figuring out like, where do I start to draw the lines between these things? At six times, you're, you're no longer dry, you're wet, right? Mm-hmm. I just had to bring up dry yeah. again, just for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jumped in the lake with all your clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got to get out of here uh, in, in just a few moments. So I think that uh, we need a hashtag for giving away those awesome Elixir cards from this episode we're going to do the drawing for the for the last time that we threw out a hashtag i can't think i was trying to think of something funny but i can't i can't think of it how about you don't need an umbrella when it's dry no (laughs) that's a really long hashtag too hard (laughs) i always try too hard your mo is trying too hard that's your superpower That's my secret. I'm always trying a, too hard. It's not a bad superpower. How about, uh, how about just uh, hash, with the hashtag umbrella? Yeah, yeah. Hashtag umbrella for giving away Elixir cards. Sure. I like it. All right. We'll go with that. Yeah. And you want these Elixir cards. That's all I'm you, here to say. You want you these Elixir cards. They're super they're really good. They're really high quality. You like the card itself is really high quality. They feel nice. Yeah. I wish that a lot more playing cards were that level of quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get some elixir cards. They're yeah. sweet. And if, mm-hmm. if you don't win them, buy them. Yes. Agreed. Yep. All right. All right. Chris, it was nice talking to you. It's nice talking to you as always. All right. I'll see you later. Have a wonderful day, sir. Bye. Done.